But one of the most important things and the reason why, for example, the FBI is totally new, it's not like a fork of a fork of a fork or something or like, hey, like, let's launch this. I bet it'll get like, you know, 500 million TVL or like pump the price or whatever. The reason we do stuff that's like extremely difficult, but also obviously has like a hopefully a, you know, top five crypto or trillion dollar, you know, vision kind of thing is it's difficult to be a positive impact in the world than, than it is in crypto than just to make money, right? Especially these days. And one of the main things that I always try to do is try to see how to be a positive, some value creating, you know, live player in the ecosystem rather than kind of value extractive or like make money and, and take it right and because that's not ultimately what this is all about so it's just more of the idealistic but really important reasons like people kind of see vitalik for example as a really good kind of thought leader and and kind of leader of the broader you know ethereum slash crypto space because i think He's also motivated by the same thing of you, you want to make the world like a better place and actually create positive value rather than try to extract or absorb value from, from somewhere, right? In, in like a zero sum manner. So I always think, how do you create actual value and make things better rather than just simply how does value come to me? Welcome to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. I am excited today to have back one of my um, favorite guests, Sam Kazmian from Frax. Frax is an algorithmic stablecoin platform, but doing quite a bit more than all of that. And the last time we spoke, we took a pretty deep dive into Sam's background, but also a pretty deep dive into how Frax functions and what it is. And so today we're going to do a follow-up because Sam's been making quite, Sam and the team have been making quite a bit of progress 
on building their replacement for the consumer price index called the Frax price index. And there's a lot of other news kind of happening around the stablecoin world. So I've been really looking forward to getting Sam back on and talking about what's going on. And I know Sam, you've been traveling a lot and running left and right, but if you could quickly introduce yourself a little bit to everybody, and I'll just tell everyone, if you want Sam's full background, go listen to um, the first episode we did with him. I'll post a link in the show notes, but thanks for joining us again, Sam. It's great to have you on. Hey, Brad. Thanks so much. Uh, it's great to be back on again. I love your show. So I'm thanks. Sam, the one of the founders of Frax, and yeah, it's it's been really good since the last time we were on and just like in DeFi, everything happens like every week is basically, <laughs> you know, a, a year. And you, you had a bunch of awesome guests on. I think you had Zeus on from, from Olympus Dow as well. After I, I did. I had, that was that I put you Zeus and my interview with Scoopy from Alchemix as my, my top three. You guys were all awesome guests and, and do such a great job explaining everything. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And so since then we've we've grown a lot in in terms of both frax supply the the um, we have over 600 uh million frax wow stablecoins outstanding yeah and you know growing by i think tens of millions of frax a week in terms of growth and getting close to shipping the frax price index or fpi version 1 that's slated for um, late November, so literally this month. And, you know, as, as a lot of people know, maybe software might be one or two weeks later, slightly, something like that, but definitely slated for late November, early uh, December. So super excited about how that's coming and the really unique uh, token economics there. And that's the second stablecoin of the Frax protocol. So Frax itself uh, is the dollar pegged stablecoin and FPI is what will track a consumer price index plus um, inflation resistance factor. So some kind of like, you know, CPI plus, you know, maybe whatever the governance inflation factor is like 6%, 5%. People will probably vote more than 2.5%, which is the, you know, Fed reported or inflation, but we'll see. And it'll be really fun um, and interesting. We also have kind of a unique design for the frax price index which is kind of like a treasury kind of system and and high yielding staking stablecoin system similar to ohm but entirely different both in terms of code base and, and in terms of how it rebalances there are kind of no bonds so to speak and for those familiar with olympus dow and olympus bonds since there's no bonds in FPI, that actually allows us to partner with Olympus Pro, which is their bond system. So to kind of get some of those bond functionalities and work together again with, you know, one of our favorite communities and, and protocols. But the way the FPI works is super new and, and novel. So that's going to be really interesting to see the game theory with one thing that's really cool that we've decided to do. And obviously this isn't uh, financial advice or investment advice, but <laughs> we will distribute Genesis FPI stable coins to FXS stakers. So if, if you have frac shares, the FXS governance token, the FPI is, is airdropped to staking pairs of the FXS. And we're also thinking of doing fracs FXS LPs, which are the original pool two at the protocol launch and you know, as, as you probably know, it, you know, your readers might be familiar is, is kind of 
like that where the stable coin is itself something you can get and, and stake. So the FPI, even though there's totally different mechanics and there's no bonds, it is a stable coin you get and, and you stake for more FPI. So when you get those Genesis FPI supply, that's important. And that's how you get them is, is by being kind of an FXS staker. There's no fundraiser. There's no second governance token. There's nothing uh, like that at all. So that's been a really exciting distribution event. So when we're ready to launch, the, the community just gets a complete fair launch of uh, FPI, which is what the plan is. So I think that's going to be extremely exciting. People always talk about it and that's, that's going to be a really cool way to get out the Genesis supply of a completely brand new stablecoin. That's awesome. So I'm assuming you guys haven't done the snapshot that will determine who gets what, or is it just going to be at the time of the release that anybody yeah, gets it? Everyone, everyone asks that. Yeah, no, we haven't done it. And we will uh, make sure to at least talk about it or post publicly about it one week ahead of any snapshot. So if it's nice. coming at the end of November, probably, you know, the third week of November, we'll post something to make sure that there's, you know, complete public information. So like if people want to get in on it or, or stake properly, or even just like strategize about, you know, how much they want to stake and things like that, there's no, you know, you know, it being already taken or, the, you know, benefiting insiders or anything like that. We super, super want to make sure that it's like a public fair launch distribution. Very cool. All right. So what I'd like to do now is let's, let's educate people a little bit. So some may or may not go back and listen to the first episode we did, but what I'd love to do is give us a high level overview of what Frax is today. And then you know, in our discussion last time, so I would encourage everybody listening to go back and listen to it because in our discussion, we got into why having the Frax uh, price index is actually so critical uh, and important. It's important not only to Frax, but it's actually important to all of crypto. And so I want to, if you don't mind, kind of backtrack, give everybody just your kind of, you know, elevator pitch for what Frax is. And then let's get into why you're creating FPI and why it's important. And, and then can we kind of climb into a little bit about how that would function? I know it's early out there in California. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hurt you. I'm, I'm a, a wide awake now. So Frax as a stable coin, we like to kind of call ourselves as the inventors of the fractional stable coin. That's where Frax gets its same fractional algorithmic uh, currency. And the unique thing about Frax is that it targets the exchange rate of the stable coins out in the open market to keep the $1 peg per token. And so how we do that and what we're kind of famous for in terms of how our stability works is these modules called AMOs or algorithmic market operations modules. And the idea behind it is that Frax is expanded or contracted in different protocols, such as like Curve, such as Aave, for example, to keep the exchange rate of Frax out in the open market at exactly a, a dollar. So I'll give you kind of an example with a, a curve pool. So a curve is the, you know, stable coin. And, and if, for example, the price of Frax is over a dollar, let's say it's a dollar and one cent in curve. What the curve AMO does is it literally just mints Frax and deposits it in curve. And in return that uh, smart contract gets curve LP tokens, right? Let's say it mints a million Frax and brings the price back down to a dollar from a dollar and one, and it gets those curve LP tokens. Then 
those curve LP tokens are earning a yield or something, right? Or it could deposit right. them in convex. And it also has the exact opposite logic as well. Let's say the price of Frax is 99 cents and Frax supply needs to contract in, in the open market. So in that curve pool, what it does is it takes those LP tokens, withdraws the 1 million Frax that it can, and then burns it. So now the supply of Frax is now contracted by a million. And this, these two things are, are happening depending on what the price of, of Frax is. If it's over a dollar, it'll mint, bring it back down to a dollar. If it's under a dollar, it'll contract the supply, use its LP tokens to burn uh, Frax and bring it back up to a dollar. Now, there's a bunch of other AMO modules, right? Like in lending markets like Aave, as well as Rari Capital's Fuse lending pools, there's basically Frax minted, right? And and basically, if people want to take out that frax, they have to over collateralize it with crypto. Same, same thing, same lending as a, as everything, right? And then they can go and use it in the open market. If there's a lot of frax that gets borrowed, and you know the the price of frax goes to ninety nine cents, then the lending amos then pull the remaining frax lending liquidity and increases the interest rate, right? That that all those people are paying to force them to repay as much of the frax loans as possible so then the frax supply in the open market contracts and this is both of these things are going on depending on the price of uh frax on the open market and so a lot of these things are just working in unison so what the curve amo is doing and the lending amos are doing are happening at the same time so there's basically a uh, lot of things going on depending on the price of frax in the open market and i actually want to point out something that that some some people might not have seen but yesterday MakerDAO actually released i don't know if you saw this they released this module called the maker die direct to ave lending module i saw that yeah it, it's actually really funny and, and it's cool because it's exactly like verbatim like i don't even want to say uh the variation but it is verbatim down to the exact line of what our frax lending amo does which is wow yeah and uh wow. obviously not the literal code because because they there's this die and stuff right sure <laughs> sure like maker but what it exactly does is if there's a lot of demand for die right out in the open market like the lending market which is ave right which is what they're what that module targets they will literally mint die right into the ave <laughs> lending market and the exact opposite you can actually go read the the maker dao it's called i think d3m module or direct to ave die minting module and it's, an, it's another just uh, fancy new name for lending algorithmic market operations. But what's interesting about it is we have like a, a meme in the Frax uh, community called like uh, hashtag all roads lead to Frax, which is like um, <laughs> the stuff that we kind of invented and came out with. Obviously, we're not like owners of this idea or, or something like a copyright or anything like that. But we just like to see how it permeates like the exact ideas, like we're on to something big or something awesome and it's cool yeah. to see them like maker use the the exact same thing that you know we've been using for like six months now since frax v2 so that's you know that's that's always an interesting emotional dynamic to that because on one hand it's like oh yeah okay so we thought of something really awesome and people are 
are copying that, right? And and that's a good feeling, you know? You, it was mm -hmm. smart. Some of the biggest players in the space are going to utilize it. On the other hand, it, 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 me personally, if I were in your shoes, it would be a little frustrating too. It's kind of like, okay, great. You know, we love our ideas to spread. Crypto gets better. Everything in crypto gets better. But there's been a long-standing issue with the stability of, of DAI. And so obviously they needed something that was more stable. You know, do you guys kind of like, oh, yeah, that's great. But at the same time, oh, man, you know, it kind of sucks that they're copying exactly what we're doing. Not not too much, because I think I, you know, I, I've been in the crypto space for a while. And I actually think, obviously, I, I don't want to say this is a fork because it's not like a literal sure. fork is make or doubt, right? But like... Like you said, I think when others kind of do the same thing that, that you started, it reinforces that you're onto something, right? And you right. Know, we see that actually with a lot of, you know, just straight up, for example, Olympus Dow forks, like you had Om Azus yeah. on, the, on the show. And, you know, it's interesting because those guys, the, the, they have so much success now that, you know, no matter what you think about their economics and stuff, there's like, 20 like Olympus Dow forks, right? On, yeah. on every chain. For us, it actually validates our kind of algorithmic stablecoin ideas because one of the things I, I always say is that everything is kind of trending towards becoming an algorithmic stablecoin. And Frax had had and has still the the best and most innovative design. And so when you look at you know what uh, maker deployed with that to direct die minting into lending markets, right? And it's just a lending AMO. Then you think of, okay, maker is starting to branch out from just being the over collateralized loan service within its own protocol into changing, you know, changing the exchange rate or supply of die out in the open market in different protocols. Right. And this is kind of their first, you know, foray into that. The, the PSM, which is just a one-to-one -one swap between different stable coins, a PEG stability module, was kind of a really basic way of doing that kind of foray, which is super, super basic of just one-to-one -one swaps. So that one might not really count as, you know, for, you know, their foray into kind of becoming an algorithmic stable coin. But I think this is undeniably something that Maker is becoming closer to Frax design rather than, you know, Frax imitating any other stablecoin kind of design right and so i you know i think it's i think it's cool we're not in any way you know like concerned or, or saddened or anything like that in fact i mean that's why we have the all roads lead to frax meme uh, <laughs> in the community i i actually think you know i'll, I'll make some predictions too you know let, let's see how they pan out my predictions is there's a bunch of other things that we've developed like other amos and and things like that that similar things are going to start panning out and, and people using them either at Maker or other stable coins. For example, we have a module that adds and removes Uniswap V3 concentrated liquidity. We, we just call that one the, the Uniswap V3 AMO, right? It's right. basically different liquidity ranges of FRAX and, and collateral. The other one uh, you know, I described is, the, is easy to understand, the Curve AMO, which is the, the liquidity on Curve. I think those might take a few months for protocols like Maker which move conservatively and admittedly properly, they should move conservatively, but it, it might take a few months for them to start discussing something like, Hey, like let's, 
let's start making the, the peg stability module, which it was our just one-to-one -one swap, more algorithmic. Like let's let's deploy this liquidity to you know the open market in, in Uniswap or or Curve and, and earn a yield on it, you know, while it's while it's idle, right? Like, you know, stake the LP tokens under the control of the, you know, their module, whatever they like to call it, right? Right. Do, um, so I think I think that's going to happen in the next three or four months. So those are my predictions. Things will slowly uh, converge in, in economic design to like the, the things that make the most objective sense. It's almost like uh, economic evolution, right? It's almost like there's kind of the invisible hand of like the market guiding the design choices of stuff and things that, you know, don't make sense kind of get discarded and things that make sense people kind of collectively discover it in parallel at the same time either you know together or individually kind of like you know something cool in history kind of like how Leibniz and Newton you know discovered calculus but separately right. uh, and and around the same time right and it happens constantly in in tech i mean it's it's a constant thing yeah exactly yeah. And so I don't, we, we don't uh, have any, you know, frustration or anything. I actually, I, I like it. Obviously I like to kind of own the record about it. That's why I, I like to discuss it, but Good. Um, yeah. And <laughs> we, we think that just like every on-chain stable coin will probably end up having these kind of algorithmic components where they will try to target their exchange rate out in the open market, you know, much more just, which is basically what Frax's entire kind of theme is as like a fractional, partly collateralized, partly algorithmic, you know, supply chain stablecoin, which is actually kind of cool because it kind of brings uh, us back to the current regulatory stuff that that was, you know, the president's report for that came out yesterday on stablecoins. One of the interesting things, I don't know if you saw this, but they ex explicitly without ambiguity in one of the starting footnotes on, on the report said that, you know, for all intents and purposes, the suggestions and, and the content of this report only explicitly in scope have to do with stable coins that are redeemable for fiat currency. So basically USDC, Tether, you know, Paxos and, and, and stuff like that, and not a quote, quote, algorithmic stable coins. And they used that, you know, they literally used the, the term algorithmic stable coins as something to exclude, at least in this report. So like, that right. doesn't mean they won't go and be like algorithmic stable coin report and, and, you know, regulatory recommendations. But, but what was really, really cool is they explicitly said that this report is is not for algorithmic stablecoins at least today it's not you know and that actually was really really bullish for me i, I absolutely think, yeah and it was kind of interesting that no one talked about it more i thought it was extremely bullish uh, you know on chain stablecoins yeah i tweeted yesterday i said oh man i i hope they continue to crack down on on the centralized coins because to me it's just fantastic news for you right and and it it it's it cracks me up the effects that regulators are actually going to have when you think about it it's going to be um things like usdt and usdc which have completely centralized components usdc can blacklist wallets and screw up entire components of the DeFi ecosystem so there's one so what's going to happen is they'll push people to 
you know, great projects like Frax. Two, when they start really cracking down on projects, they're going to shove everybody into, push everyone into being anonymous and truly decentralized, right? So projects will be completely released, completely decentralized with no human able to do anything about it. And ultimately what they're going to end up with is more DeFi and more crypto as far as I'm concerned than less, right? Which I think is part of their goal. So, and less able to secure it or, or less able to regulate it. So I just think it's, it's really interesting. And I love hearing that, that, that was that it was that explicit in the memorandum that this is for asset backed stable coins. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully there, there's no like second, you know, president's group on algorithmic stable coins, but I, I think, <laughs> I think probably there, there won't be. Specific. I do not believe there is that capacity within the federal government right now. So I'm not too concerned about that one happening. Yeah. yeah. When they're, when they're consulting with guys like Rohan Gray, who is, you know, pounding his fist for a centralized cryptocurrency for the federal government, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the way that I, my own regulatory kind of views have evolved have been kind of interesting because I actually, you know, I, I think that it makes sense that the the fiat collateralized or or I, I like to actually call it TradFi collateralized because there you go. Um, I love it. You know, because the it's not just fiat, right? We now we know obviously USDC, Tether and stuff, they have commercial paper, they have treasuries and, and it's not literally fiat deposits, right? It's right. Not, it's even less that. Yeah. And and it's I think people calling it TradFi collateralized would be a little bit more clearer because then it makes sense if, if you have, you know, reserve requirements or, or ways to transparently have to show, you know, government regulators what the actual reserves are. And for stuff like FRAX, for example, it's all real time deterministically on chain, right? Both assets and every single market operation. So even if, for example, there was suggestions of, well, fully on-chain algorithmic stablecoins need to show their reserves. It's like, okay, well, they, they always, our reserves are always <laughs> public, right? And you can look at sense, it. Just, yeah. Here's the address, dude. Exactly, right? And and in fact, I mean, that's what our front end is, right? So you literally just have to go to app.frax.finance for a real-time audit report every single uh, block of, of Ethereum. And the that's other so thing awesome. is like, you can you can maybe make the you know claim that hey there's you know there has to be kind of reserve requirements right just like how banks have you know capital reserve requirements at least you know 10% of reserves have to be this kind of thing or fiat or or deposits at at the fed or something like that the other reason why algorithmic stablecoins don't even make sense to apply any of those things to is we have absolutely no link with, with TradFi collateral, right? So for example, we're just talking about minting directly into lending markets, right? Like, right. like Aave and, and things like that. And so the, the technical claim that the protocol has is tokens, right? The, the deposit of, of FRAX into, into the lending market. What actual asset is that? How do, you, how do you actually classify that, right? Or like a Curve LP token. Is that, you know, like a a asset that is part of a 10% reserve requirement? Is that a direct, you know, claim on, you know, LP tokens on FRAX and other side of the collateral? Is that something that would re require us to, you know, have the protocol hold at least 10% of or something? But that, that would be nonsensical, right? Because these are digital assets with absolutely no, you know, direct classification or 
guidelines. So it doesn't even make sense for algorithmic stablecoins to have a specific kind of reserve requirement because there there is no you know classification of reserves for digital on-chain assets, right? Like what's an LP token? What's a you know Aave interest bearing you know Frax token or something, right? And that's why it's it's looking good because I think you know I and I hesitate here because you, you never want to give too much credit, but to give credit where it's due, I think the the people in the the federal government or at least that that working group do recognize that actually and so i i do want to give credit you know in in these specific cases because they i think they actually get that which is that's um, cool yeah and and so like that was that was a good thing to wake up to yesterday so that's nice yeah, that's so awesome. that was a good monday do you ever worry about your the fact that you are doxxed a known person your photos out there any of that does that does that keep you awake at night no actually i think every every day to be honest i actually think we we did the right thing uh, the only thing is i wish i had a cool avatar like all of these like <laughs> uh, you know people that are in on like like zeus or, or tetranode with, with, with the wasi whale and all of these cool things i actually want a you know metaverse avatar so if anyone's a, like a cool artist and, and wants to make no. embody obviously everyone knows it's it's me but i i want to not be kind of always my my real life picture on on like twitter and and stuff like that i want to i want to kind of get into a a alternate persona but no i'm not i'm not in any way worried about the 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 anon stuff because one of the things is first of all everyone kind of knows my own history i've been in the space for a long time done a lot of cool things and and thankful for a lot of like my past experience and things like that and other than the fear of like regulatory stuff, I think it's been a complete benefit to early adoption of Frax and, and things like that to know, hey, there's a reputable team, you know, Sam and the other core devs, Jason, Travis, and, and other people joining. We actually have someone named Dennis that helps us with economic modeling and everything. Everyone sees that the people kind of joining us are, you know, really in, in like, belief that we're, we're building something really, really cool and novel. And they don't have to wonder like, you know, who is it? Is it, you know, someone that has like a, a past history of, of like rugging or this or that or whatever. And so I think it's actually helped fracks that we're, we're not in on other than I guess, regulatory concerns, but you know, we just talked about how for, for once it's starting to look pretty good for, for stable coins. So that's been good news. That's awesome. No, and I, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, people knowing that there's a real person there, you know, certainly makes them feel safer and more comfortable and more willing to take part in the community and all of that. And I think the only way, um, I mean, I think obviously people like Zeus or Scoopy could go on and do other projects and because of their reputation, their anonymity is is actually not a hindrance, but I definitely think that the meritocracy of DeFi requires people to prove themselves. When you bring on a team like yours and you're out front and open, that makes people feel safer about it and more secure knowing there are real people there. And I think there's also an argument there that you were kind of making that from a regulatory perspective, it's not something you're trying to hide and the, the algorithm is working. And it's not kind of backed by this, you know, 
TradFi paper, as you say, or TradFi financing. And that actually should make regulators feel better about it, right? From that perspective. And until somebody, at the end of the day, the regulators don't have enough resources to go after everything anyway. And until they're going to reach a point here where the only things they can go after are the ones um, that people have really been screwed over by because they're not going to be able to keep up with everything that's going on. So I think that's a, I think that's a good argument. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and that's a really good way to put it because it's like we stand by the fact that Frax is fully on chain and, and algorithmic and there's, and there's nothing, you know, there's no link to traditional financial stuff. There's no company, there's no anything like that. And, and here I am, you know, and I'm real and, and not anonymous and, you know, I, I stand by that. So that's, that's a, a good vote of confidence. And I think, you know, actually, I think the main thing that's cool about being anonymous again, is the, the, you know, metaverse body, been a metaverse avatar and, <laughs> and these things. And, and maybe I'm just like, I really just want one. And I want to just like, you know, have my own kind of uh, brand like Tetranode and, and these other guys. But I think there's something cool about that and actually not necessarily super protective against regulation. I think there's just something cool to be said about being this digital incarnation of something and that people have a digital only and digital native representation of, of you as, as a founder of a, of a protocol, that's actually super powerful. So I, I think yeah. um, that's one of the actual benefits that people don't, you know, think about that's more subtle. And I think it actually is, and, you know, I, I, not to go too philosophical and deep here, because I want to get into FPI more, but, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is that having these digital personas does a number of things. First of all, you know, a lot of the non developers and non participants are people that just they're not necessarily trying to protect themselves from anything. They just want, like you say, a digital persona, right? That does a lot of things in, in the world that I think are incredibly positive. First of all, you know, the meritocracy of DeFi, prove yourself. You know, it's not about necessarily your resume. It's not necessarily about anything else. You're a developer, you're a creator, you're a whatever. It's about your work. It's about what you've done and how you've contributed and what kind of a member of the community you've been. And that's the reputation you built around that digital per persona. The other thing that I think is interesting is in, in the real world, all of the biases uh, that occur in the real world, whether it be on sexual identity, race, religion, whatever it might be, those will go away in, in this digital work DeFi participation world, right? There, there are no longer, um, there's no longer, a, I don't know if I shouldn't say a need, but there's no longer this necessity to think about those issues because no one is being judged or most people aren't being judged based on any of those things, right? These are those these are the job interviews that are not really job interviews because it's just people proving what they can do. So I find that uh, I find this whole mix of the things that we're changing with DeFi from DAO structures to identity to be really interesting. And I think there's going to be a really significant societal impact. Yeah. Across and, the board. and just, and just like quick to add on in, in a final comment on that topic, I totally agree. And there's a really online talk by Bology, who's also cool enough. Oh, I love Bology. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, great ideas on a lot of many things. And one of them is this decentralized identity where just like you're saying, the cool thing with these, um, digital first identities is you can compartmentalize them, right? So, so for example, 
uh, Scoopy is, is the Alchemix founder. And so he can come and say things authoritatively on DeFi and, and Alchemix, but then he doesn't necessarily have to mix that with, for example, you know, political or socio-political things, you know, he can have an alternate identity or maybe he, that's, or maybe that's his normal identity that no one knows is linked to, to Scoopy, right? You have these unlinked. Right. Uh, concepts, right? That that you can separate from different identities. And Balaji had a really better way of uh, explaining it. So people that are interested in kind of these different identities should should go and see that talk. He also also you know to segue into Brax Price Index stuff has some really cool things on thoughts on inflation and things like that, which is why he invested in in Frax. But there's a, a lot of cool stuff he's doing with inflation tracking and and things like that as well. Excellent. I'll find those and put them in the show notes. And I do, I follow him and I've had it. It's funny. He and I will have some interactions on Twitter about something he brings up. I have some differences of opinions somewhat on media with him to some extent. And he always kind of brings it over to a DM chat with me. And I find it really interesting because I think that keeps that prevents those conversations from getting irrational. And so we actually have this private conversation going on, which is really an interesting tactic by him. But back to kind of what you were saying, and I, I think it makes a, a really valid point I hadn't thought about is compartmentalizing identities, right? For me, you know, I'm out front as me, but I also have really strong political opinions. And for the last several months, in order to kind of work on the podcast and build a brand and not be a divisive part of the ecosystem because I want to play with the Bitcoiners and the Ethereum people and the Solana people and learn from everybody, right? I want to, I want to get all this knowledge and information. Well, if I start asserting my very strong political opinions, I'm going to piss a group off. <laughs> so um, right. I've resisted. At least half of the people off. At least exactly. Yeah. And I've, so I've resisted that and it's actually been somewhat refreshing for me. Um, to, to not engage in, in negative conversations. So I will say there's an upside to it, a really strong personal emotional upside that comes from that because you're not kind of pulled into these heated arguments. And I will make comments occasionally on the periphery of the politics, but I used to be very, very, I mean, somebody could dive back way deep in my politics and see it. <laughs> but, but I there's a really strong argument there to be made because I would still like to be participating in some of those discussions, but I'm not right now. I watch them, I read them, I follow people that I agree with and disagree with. So anyway, but let's talk about societal change, right? And that is really the big vision of FPI because when in our first episode, the interview, we discussed the fact that that inflationary impacts and the prices, the way prices are determined for consumers are a really critical factor in, you know, your bigger vision of you would really like Frax to become, you know, a dominant concert currency in the world. And in order to do that and be successful as much as I think you want to be with it, you had to take on something much bigger, which is how pricing is determined. And so that I think, and if I'm wrong, just tell me, I think that's a lot of the origin of where the Frax price uh, index comes in. So could you kind of give people who don't necessarily understand how much impact there is with the CPI, the consumer price index, how that impacts our lives and then why you felt it was important to have the FPI and what you guys are doing and how that's going to function? Yeah, definitely. First thing is, so the FPI is going to be the, the second stable coin in the Frax, you know, protocol ecosystem. And one thing to, to highlight about kind of the, the vision here is like a lot of people have asked, you know, oh, why doesn't Frax do like 
fractional euros or or fractional i don't know like yen or other stable coins things like that because you've already kind of proven the model with with usd and and stuff like that and why don't you become kind of more of like a fractional synthetic assets kind of platform right like how synthetics or or terra's mirror ecosystem or something has all these different national currencies and we don't have any interest in doing that because frax is trying to kind of you know be a like trillion dollar protocol vision in the sense that we have two stable coins and i think that's the only amount that you actually need the current world uh unit of account and and kind of you know settlement medium the dollar right and then whatever you hope people move to right and for us it's the the frax price index or kind of the successor to the dollars unit of account for for denomination of you know debt trade and and all all of these things so that that's the reason there's only two stable coins that's the reason Makes Frax, sense. yeah as a, as a protocol just concentrates on two not like a synthetic assets platform so to speak and it actually in my opinion that actually makes the total addressable market cap and our actual focus and scope you know exponentially larger than a synthetic assets kind of dex or or trading platform because it's a bitcoin slash ethereum sized play in terms of the size of something we could be doing in in the crypto market right it's you know hundreds of uh billions if not trillions play in the next you know 10 years so to speak but yeah so the frax price index and also the cp stuff is interesting because until really recently and hey sam can i interrupt you real quick i'm sorry real quickly was was the FPI originally your vision was that it was going to be uh, a second stablecoin in the Frax family, or did that kind of evolve over time after thinking about tackling the CPI and FPI? Yeah, it, it, well, it was always supposed to be a stablecoin in in the Frax ecosystem. So there's there's cool. no other like governance token or anything. But I think if you if, if people are really really astute and were looking at original tweets about how I was thinking about it, I actually wrote some ideas about frax the stable coin that's currently pegged to the dollar slowly kind of depegging and transitioning to a different cpi based peg as its market cap got bigger right uh-huh. so there's actually only be one stable coin but then for both adoption reasons as well as just kind of technical reasons i realized that's that's actually we would be shooting ourselves in the foot because the, you know, all of the places that depend on using Frax as a dollar, right, and in curve pools and in liquidity and, and everything, if that was slowly changing as a function of how large Frax, the stablecoin was growing, those things would all slowly break as as like the, the peg was not tracking the dollar, but moving towards like a, a, you know, custom peg. So I thought, actually, we just should have a second stablecoin, right, from, from the beginning. And, that makes total uh, sense. Yeah, and it, and it shouldn't interfere. And it's interesting because Olympus Ohm, as, as a lot of people probably know, has done a really good job in basically coming up with a single token model for a kind of reserve currency, so to speak. And something that's interesting as well about the Frax protocols, I believe we're the largest holders, protocol holders of Ohm out of any other protocol or, or DeFi project. So love that. Yeah. The first partners together in, in, in like May and June. And 
I actually really like their overall unit model, like the fact that there's only one token. So the FPI is not uh, planned to be rebasing or have bonds or be any kind of uh, code similarity, but it is the, the only resemblance that it has to own is that you can stake FPI for, for more FPI rewards and it, it is a, a high yield stable coin in its growth phase, which I think that's the, you know, innovation Olympus DAO actually started and, and, you know, in collaboration with them and stuff where we're building part of how the FPI we're thinking about the, the single token model of it is, is, is similar, but there's, there's no bonds endogenously. There's no, you know, currently no planned rebasing uh, token, but there is single asset, you know, stable coin FPI staking is, is in the plans. Can't wait. Okay. So I took you off track. Let's head back to CPI, FPI and why, and, and then kind of the model for how it functions. Yeah. So one thing that that's interesting is in the crypto space, there wasn't a lot of talk about the, the dollar itself tracking the consumer price index or what, you know, stability actually means and, and, and what it is until two things recently. And, and now everyone's talking about the CPI and, and, and stuff like that. One is the, a lot of dollar printing in, in the past, you know, one to two years, you know, nominally, like the, the supply of, of dollars increasing a substantial amount because of the, the COVID pandemic. And then two is the stable coin industry proliferating and exponentially kind of expanding. Right. And so there's this talk of what is a stable coin? what is actually stability and, and stuff like that in a more introspective and kind of philosophical outlook. I remember when I was kind of talking about the, the dollar actually being, you know, pegged or loosely tracking the CPI back in, in early this year on crypto Twitter, I think it was like one of the first times where in like crypto people were actually talking about the CPI itself and, and, and things like that. And, that was like the first times I was, I was starting to say the Frax price index, like as a, as like a, a brand and, and things like that. And it's crazy how just six, seven months later, everyone, you know, in crypto is talking about what's in the CPI. How does the CPI work? Like what, why are they underreporting stuff in, in the, in the CPI? And it's cool that it's become an extremely central point in, you know, the crypto economic discussion. And so for people that don't know, right, the, the U.S. dollar, the, the Fed's monetary policy is that every month the U.S. Department of Labor uh, and Statistics releases a consumer price index report of the items that U.S. consumers most buy and, and basically reports in, you know, I think they still do it by telephone survey, which is really archaic, but in, in yeah. basically consumer surveys by, by the federal government and then the prices of those items. So for example, the consumer price index is composed of like food, right? There's meats and, and poultry. The prices of those things are in there. There's electronics, laptops, there's cars, you know, used cars, uh, new cars, and, and things like that. There's healthcare, right? Cause uh, healthcare is a service and, and, and people use that and it's a big expenditure. And then the idea behind the, the CPI is that the Federal Reserve looks at the dollar prices of these things every month in this report, right? And then how much the, the average consumer spends on them. And so that's the weight of the index. So like if, for example, they spend 
10% uh, percent of their consumer expenditure on food. And to put it simply, let's say if there's only two types of food, chicken, meat, and, and beef or something, right? Then the food component of the CPI is 10% because that's, that's what the survey said. And then the subgroup of the food is just chicken and, and beef, right? And right. next month, if consumers reported spending 20% on, on food, right, then the index for food will double in size and become 20% in weight rather than 10. And, you know, I'm simplifying a bunch of stuff. So let's just say that it's just those, you know, chicken and beef. And then the sub size of those will be however much they report on spending on chicken and then on beef. And then the dollar is supposed to track the exchange rate of all of those things uh, plus 2.5% inflation per year. What that means is supposed to lose 2.5% value against the entire basket per year to spur reinvestment or spending of the, of the dollar, right? Instead of kind of hoarding it and kind of making spending it a first priority to keep the economy going and, and wealth creation and investing it in productive uses rather than holding idle and kind of inert currency, right? And right. So That's our entire economic system is meant to make sure people keep spending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, the, there's goods and bads for that, right? The, sure. the good, the good thing about that is, well, you want them to spend on things to put dollars in productive uses, right? You want them to either invest in stocks, equities, companies that are producing things or spending it in the economy, right? And, and consuming the bad part about it is it's a hyper consumerist, you know, economy, you, you can't hold, there's an implicit inflation tax to holding your, your actual dollars per year. Right. And, you know, people debate about this on, on Twitter and things like that, but the general idea is that the dollar should, and is in, in designed to loosely track the CPI. So that the thought is, well, why not create that in a crypto native system where you have a stable coin that tracks some basket of exchange rates to keep things super simple? Let's just bring the CPI itself, literally the thing we're talking about that the federal government uses just on chain, right? And in fact, we are with the Frax Price Index, we're working with Chainlink to create a custom first of its kind CPI Oracle that is updated once a month. I wish it was updated faster, but that's how the government updates the CPI. But Chainlink is bringing that in for us. And then on chain, you can have governance that tracks that CPI plus or minus, you know, either new indices or exchange rates, or even a anti-inflation target. What if you want to grow against the CPI by, you know, 5% rather lose 2.5% against it or, or things like that, right? And you have a stable coin that is algorithmically adjusted in supply in on-chain in, in the open markets to track this CPI Oracle. And that's basically the simple form of what the Frax price index is. It's the first stable coin of its kind to have a consumer price index plus, you know, crypto native governance or new indices and track those exchange rates as if it has its own definition of what stability actually is. So that's, that's, what's really cool and, and novel about it. There's no uh, dollar peg, although it should basically, you know, in effect, loosely track the dollar plus 
not be inflated, right? So it should actually be growing in purchasing power slightly against the dollar. So nice. um, that's what's uh, cool about so it. So that's the real advantage of it is, is that the algorithm actually, rather than rather than having the same inflationary mechanisms, will actually uh, allow this to have more value over time instead of less value over time. Yeah, it'll exactly it, compared to again everything is is a, in pricing is is a reference point, right? And compared to the CPI plus crypto native indices, and so it should have more value growing against a basket of consumer items. And I find that really elegant because I always say the best currency is actually one that keeps your standard of living. Uh, constant, right? In fact, what, what Balaji talks about is he has this term called a flat coin rather than a stable coin, which means flat and constant purchasing power compared to a basket of things that keep your standard of living the same, right? Compared to a basket of essential consumer goods, right? And that's a really important concept that no one's really building in DeFi. And I think the closest thing is Olympus, which they branded as kind of a reserve currency. And I think that that's really powerful as well. It's uh, slightly different. So I think we're symbiotically, not competitive, but symbiotically beneficial to each other. So the, the cool thing is it, if you think about what an investment, for example, is an investment by definition is something that should increase your standard of living, right? If it's a right. good one, right? you should be able to afford more, you know, whatever consumer items you like, right? Like cars are expensive things or, or things like that. If that's, you know, what you, you define, right? And if, if it's a bad investment, you'll probably, you know, lower your standard of living if you've allocated too much to it and stuff. But notice how it requires a kind of anchor to what actually a standard of living is, right? So, uh, currency is something you can denominate investments in, right? It's something right. you can actually have some currency as a stable, you know, flat reference point and allocate into things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, or, or things that are really good investments. And hopefully those increase the amount of the currency you can sell into right if if you want to realize some standard of living gains so to speak right and so that that makes sense and it's it's really powerful and that's also why you know that the the dollar is at least for now you know give you know recently things have been kind of weird in, in the macroeconomics <laughs> yeah. of the pandemic but until recently the dollar has been the best financial primitive for doing that right and that's also why you know, Bitcoin went from, you know, starting out as peer-to-peer -peer cash branding to digital gold and things like that, because Bitcoin is a good investment. I don't think many people other than really diehard Bitcoin maximalists and stuff think that it's a great currency, because my own view is that those things are, are anathema. They're actually kind of a little bit mutually exclusive, being a good investment and being a good currency. And, right. you know, there's, there's the, there's the Bitcoin kind of diehard narrative of first you have to be a store of value and then, you know, then medium of exchange. And then after you, you know, it has multi-trillion market cap or something, then you become the, you know, the, the medium of exchange, the actual currency and stuff. But I don't know. I, I, you know, but, the, 
I don't know if that's actually what's going on with Bitcoin. I think it's still a great investment. And so no one's really looking to spend it, even with lightning and, and things like that, that you can send cheap Bitcoin. I don't think people are other than, again, diehard Bitcoin guys denominating things like loans or things like that in Bitcoin. I, I don't think the, that's actually rising. And that's okay. That's not a knock on Bitcoin. I think it's a fantastic investment, but it just shows that you take out loans in the future against a currency usually, because that's the thing that is constant against a, a stable standard of living, right? Right. Um, Absolutely. Well, it's fascinating because Zeus actually said that one of the reasons he had been a, a Bitcoin maximalist and one of the reasons that he created Ohm was, was that he realized that Bitcoin was never going to be the currency. He felt uh, deflated by the fact that that he felt he finally realized that Bitcoin was never going to be the currency that he had always thought it was. And that had been the line that people had always given him was that it was going to end up being a, a currency. And so I find it fascinating that, you know, it's a similar train of thought there. So, you know, something else I think that is important here is, is that this is superior for normal people, right? This is this is something that allows normal people who now, under the current inflationary system, are the people who most impacted by the inflation and the loss in value of their dollars, right? And they are the ones most expected to spend the money in order to keep the economy going. The wealthiest in this country or the world actually aren't as greatly impacted by it because they have investment vehicles available to them that shield them from that. So I find it also, I, mean, I think part of the, the branding here is, and part of the solve that the problems we've been, that Bitcoin's been trying to solve and everybody's been trying to solve is this inflationary impact on normal people. And that this now with FPI actually allows people to actually retain their value. And we were, we were discussing the other day, I have this lunch show I do with my friend Joe and uh, about DeFi. And we were talking really deeply about the fact that a lot of these vehicles that allow you to earn this yield have the potential to, to create kind of perpetual incomes for people, right? They still have to take it out into fiat right now and to USD and, and, and utilize it, but it has the potential to, to create this perpetual yield. Well, if there is a FPI like pro project or, or token for them, that is based on what they, the, the current consumer price index is, is out there, but can actually actually help them grow their value or maintain constancy or flat flat token, as you said, Balaji speaks to it. That's an incredibly powerful model, right? I mean, I, I assume you you believe that. That's why you guys are creating it. But it does yeah, well, one hundred percent. That that's actually kind of what I was saying in the example as well is that people just have to hold uh, part of their wealth, the the amount that they want to have stable to a standard of living across time in like FPI. Uh, people shouldn't, you know, have all of their wealth because basically like having it in an in inflation resistant cash, you want it to have it in good investments, right? You want it, you want to actually be in Bitcoin and Ethereum oh, and yeah, all of these other things. And you want part of your portfolio that you want to live off of, right? Or you want to actually spend and do accounting in, uh, flat against a, a set of consumer items, right? That, that you need like, like food, like, you know, electronics and transportation, things like, things like that, healthcare. And I think that that's the powerful thing is it might sound a little bit like it's not a, a, a trillion dollar kind of 
uh, crypto market cap narrative because it's like, well, if everyone holds a, a little bit, like you know, like parked stable coins in FPI, it only sounds like people hold like 10% of their wealth. But if if most people in DeFi hold five to 10% of their wealth here, that that's a top five cryptocurrency, right? It's, it's right. bigger than that's gigantic. Yeah, exactly. And so that's exactly what it is. In fact, like the important thing is this isn't competitive against any good investment like Bitcoin or, or Ethereum. And there's, you know, in the really hardcore, like Bitcoin is money, ETH is money, or like my favorite L1 token is, is money kind of subgroups. The idea is like the L1 token has to do everything. Like it, it that, that thing has to be everything. It's, it's simultaneously a good investment, but also simultaneously good to spend on like consumer stuff, which is, you know, it seems totally oxymoronic. Right. And, yeah. and like, but, but like, because being a currency as well and denominating things, you know, increases that the, you know, scope of the top of the market cap of the thing, right. It makes it like a trillion dollar crypto narrative. It also has to be that just in case. Right. So that right. there's like, a, like still a thousand X upside or whatever. But in fact, I think the FBI that we're working on is just more honest is like, we don't expect, or people probably shouldn't have more than like 10% of their on-chain wealth or something in FPI, because unless you think you're cycling everything into stable coins, right? Right. You, you shouldn't have more FPI, right? Like right. You have it is about what you want in, in terms of something to live off of that keeps your standard of living the same. And you also don't have to worry about the Fed's targeted inflation, which is right. pretty powerful. I actually think that that is a trillion dollar thing, even though most Huge. people won't hold, you know, half of their portfolio or shouldn't even hold half of their portfolio in a Frax price index. That's, that's fantastic. So what, what happens, uh, what's the really ongoing relationship between and what happens with Frax versus FPI going forward yeah so it's actually going to be interesting because some things with the fpi will start out with being partly dollar collateralized with decentralized stable coins so obviously part of fpi treasury or fbi balance sheet kind of like olympus DAO, will be backed by decentralized stable coins like Frax, we're talking with other people who, you know, projects that want to partner with it. Um, Faye is a, is a really cool project, another algorithmic stablecoin, perhaps partly back FPI with, with Faye as well. I don't know if you've had Joey Santoro on your show or, or you know him, but he's like a super smart guy and he's not yet with it. Yeah, you totally should. He's, he's cool. a really, really smart guy. So. Those kinds of stable coins, decentralized ones, Frax, obviously the, its own stable coin and Fay will partly back the FPI. Cause remember the, the mechanics here, right? The, the dollar is losing value against the CPI, right? The, the reported consumer price index. And then the Frax price index has to gain a certain amount of value, whatever the kind of governance target is and, and the other crypto native indices are. So if you have a balance sheet of dollars that's like losing, you know, 2.5% and you're targeting of gaining, for example, 5% against the CPI. That means that the rest of the non-stable coin balance sheet of the FBI has to gain by 7.5%, right? Because the right. net gain is 5%. And so 
the relationship is super symbiotic with the FRAX stablecoin because at the beginning, we at least need to compose the FPI balance sheet with decentralized stablecoins, right? And what better decentralized stablecoin than the actual endogenous one that the protocol has kept at a, at a perfect peg. And then other partners such as Faye and other partners that we're talking to that, that we haven't really announced yet, but those, those stable coins will partly back the FPI. Obviously there has to be other assets that gain at least, you know, the inflation plus the, the target, but it's almost like, you know, for your listeners that are pretty well in, in the know of how Ohm works, imagine if kind of the Ohm floor of Olympus Dow treasury was the CPI plus some inflation resistance, and it was just increasing in value, right? If, if the, if the, the RFV risk-free value is, is what they call it of Olympus was slowly growing in an algorithmic sense, tracking an Oracle price of, of CPI and inflation, right? Then you basically would need to have your treasury growing at minimum at that rate, right? To always have right. the risk-free value of, of this thing. And then any kind of extra single asset FPI staking that we would offer. So I, I don't know if we would offer something or, or the protocol can sustain something as as incredibly, you know, lucrative as Olympus is, you know, 8,000 or 10,000%, <laughs> but anything above the actual CPI APY then is paid out in FPI, which it represents future growth of the balance sheet. Right. And, and so awesome. that, that makes sense. And, and uh, there will be high yield obviously for, for staking FPI as well. But the thing is, you know, we, we want to kind of make sure people's expectations are tempered in the sense that it's not as, as volatile in the upside or the APY as Olympus. It's uh it's basically a CPI tracking and growing uh, version of Ohm with very unique and novel ways of rebalancing and, and algorithmically changing the balance sheet on chain. That's not, you know, bonds or, or the same code base. Right. Well, and at the end of the day, it makes people holding or part of the community have a um, direct interest in the growth and success of the use of the token. Right. So that's, that's always a plus as far as I'm concerned. What, what do you think kind of has to happen for FPI to become that, you know, $1 trillion component of our economy mm -hmm. or more? Yeah, I think what's going to happen is, you know, if this, if this kind of grand vision works out, it will, to be honest, and, and this might sound uh, a little boring, but I think <laughs> it will happen in a boring and slow manner, like the, the saying goes like slow, like what is it, like slowly and then suddenly all at once or something. And I think the reason I say it's boring is like, I don't think people will notice or care very much, or even they themselves would even notice if they're using FPI, but only like 5% of their portfolio is, is FPI. And then, you know, it's, it's really cool. It's yielding a lot, but you know, it's a side thought, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's just uh, kind of sitting there. Yeah. It's like, it, it's cool. Oh, it's a stable coin and I'm earning some yield, but, but like, what's the new shiny, you know, token or protocol or NFT or, or whatever. Right. And then if everyone thinks that way, even if it doesn't sound like it's a $1 trillion narrative, everyone has five to 10% of, of their portfolio in the, the first kind of CPI crypto native 
stablecoin that is a top five crypto like that right sure, right absolutely and so, yeah and i think that will happen hopefully if this whole thing is is correct is it'll happen slowly it, it won't just like explode you know to the top or, or whatever like the coolest shiny kind of investment and then maybe then like dump 60 percent and then recover <laughs> a little bit or things like that it's exactly supposed to be the opposite of that right right and that's so, the entire model yeah and and even though it's a little bit boring, I think people will kind of slowly come to realize, hey, wait a minute, like I've, I've held this, you know, the Frax price index for a while and it's been, it's been good to me and yield and, and stability and stuff. And then everyone will kind of say that and then look around and realize, wait, are, are we all just holding like three, five, six, ten 10% <laughs> of our, our wealth? And then you look at on CMC or CoinGecko or something and and you're like, holy crap, it's it's like number four or like number 10 or something, you know? Right. No, that's awesome. I love that vision of it. I, and I I think it makes logical sense, right? It it makes sense that people would treat it that way and not and not and love having the idea that it's stable and I, I don't want to say safe because nothing is ultimately completely safe, but safe right. yeah. in in their wallet, earning something for them, not devaluing and being there for when they need it and, and earning yield as well right Same right asset, right and that's even better yeah that's 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 an absolutely awesome thing and it's just one asset and you're not worrying about pairing and impermanent loss and everything else do you does it become something that in order to get people to have it at that three to five percent or ten percent level in their wallet that it has to start not only it has to start integrating with other DeFi projects, right? Which I, I, you know, I think you guys have already started kind of that networking and that business development of partnering with other projects with Frax. Does it have to be part of other projects? And then is there a point where you and the community and the team have to kind of start thinking about how do we, how do we permeate the real world outside of DeFi with Frax? Is that something you think about or worry about for kind of growing to where you want to grow to? Or do you think that it just becomes part of more and more people coming into crypto and there's Frax and it's part of the ecosystem. And so it just gets adopted. Yeah. So definitely, obviously, if it's going to be a you know, trillion dollar narrative or even like top five crypto or something, it has to be used everywhere, right? Right. And the, there's no exception. There's there's no way it, it, it uh, can be, you know, top cryptocurrency without it being everywhere, essentially, right? And what we have to do is we have to get people basically comfortable denominating debt in, in CPI. And, you know, there's a lot of intricacies, uh, you know, economically, if it's super inflation resistant or like massively growing against the dollar, for example, you would never short this right you would never take debt in in like fpi to you know go buy like a, a house or something because what if the fbi outgrows the the real estate rate or, or something like that right you'd much rather take a loan in dollars which you know is going to inflate right makes sense um, so there's a lot of intricacies to solve but i think with the fact that frax is becoming kind of a DeFi uh household name it's going to be really at least easy to get integration and experimentation with with the fbi and that's also you know it's something olympus also has to figure out as well and we both as a you know community that has a lot of crossover have to figure out for example everyone likes to lever long for example on on uh ohm right they actually borrow a lot of fracks to you know buy more ohm and then stake right. it because there's such a high apy but then no one's uh, denominating debt in Ohm, 
at least right now, obviously, why, why right. would you That's a really scary thing to do that? Because this thing is growing at you know, advertised 8,000% APY, but you have to eventually uh, have debt denominated in uh, FPI or, or Ohm or whatever, if you want it to be a unit of account, right? So people right. account their, their debts in it. So we were totally cognizant of that. But then the fact that our other stable coin, Frax, is being used to denominate debt and can actually help out the FPI and like integrations and these things, I think is uh, a really, really important thing. Because imagine, for example, if Olympus had its own endogenous dollar backed stable coin, right? That would be very, very powerful. It could intake, it could basically borrow from that side of its own protocols balance sheet and then issue ohm against it rather than have to buy DAI and you know Frax and LUSD and stuff. It's kind of actually similar a little bit to what uh, MIM is doing, uh, Magic Internet Money, uh, right? Abracadabra with with uh, Wonderland, which is you know it's yeah, yeah it's, it's a self-described <laughs> Olympus. DAO kind of direct fork. And I, I think Daniele, you know, specifically even says that, you know, they were supposedly going to buy or give a lot of props or, or, you know, time tokens or whatever to Olympus because it's, it's a straight just fork for fundraising reasons and increasing the, the supply of MIM, the, the magic internet money stable coin. Right. Right. But the, the FPI is something that's like entirely completely different vision, but then we also benefit from the the synergy that we also have the same, you know, endogenous stablecoin. The it's it's interesting because I think that these these kind of new peg, you know, things like FPI, I guess Wonderland as well, really benefit from having a very close relationship with de a decentralized stablecoin, essentially, right? And right. decentralized stablecoin means dollar, right? And then the successor of whatever the, the pegged currency is going to be to the dollar. So you see these kinds of relationships, again, emerging naturally, right? Again, like this kind of economic evolution of things converging, looking fairly similar, right? So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out, basically. Yeah, very. And, you know, have, have you guys, so one of, you know, Daniel at Wonderland, Abracadabra, Mim, was actually talking about building a, an ecosystem of DAOs and startups around their projects. And it seems like that could be something very cool to see build up around FPI, right? Is applications that are integrated with the real world applications that are in DeFi that you guys could actually build your own ecosystem around the FPI or incubate. Yeah, yeah definitely. In fact, you know, just like people hold uh, Ohm on, on their treasury and like Frax does, like I was saying, we, we are one of the largest holders. People can hold FPI. And one of the main things, one of the benefits with FBI is it, it has a clear uh, price floor target rather than a, a volatile price floor target. You know it's staying constant against CPI and, and growing against inflation, right? Versus with Ohm. The, the benefit with Ohm is that it's it's still volatile at the floor, but the APY is really high, right? The APY is the, the advantage it has against something like the Frax price index, but then the disadvantage is that the price floor is is, is extra volatile, right? Versus with the FPI, the, the price floor is totally uh, algorithmic, tracks the CPI oracle and, and stuff like that. So I think there's going to be a very, very diverse kind of Cambrian explosion of 
people using not just Frax, the stablecoin, but FPI and integrating it in DAOs and things like that, the same way that we're actually using Ohm, right? And right. Kind of no, I, I definitely think that makes sense. And I think it makes sense for projects like Olympus and Frax FPI to, to help grow projects around it, you know, and, and I, you know, there are, there's a breed of projects like yours that are, have raised the standard significantly for DeFi. And so I'm, and yeah, and, and, and it's making a huge difference. I mean, it's getting labeled DeFi 2.0 or whatever you want to call it. But the bottom line is, is it's people that are thinking about a much bigger play right? It, it's kind of the maturing of the entire crypto space into something that's actually real and something that has um, positive impacts on everybody that's involved with it, but also incredible potential in the in, in the real world. And, and that's been kind of one of my base investment theses for me is, does this project, is this project thinking about important things like stability and power and a big, big picture vision of of changing the world and can I see it translate into use in real life, right? And there's only a few projects that for me meet that standard and and obviously this is one of them. Thank you, yeah, and I, yeah, I just wanna say also one of the things is like in crypto, you know, it's easy to make money these days without, you know, making the world a better place. You have just, yeah. you know, fun games or you have, you know, dog coins, which I love. I and There's nothing bad about them. But, you know, some people gravitate towards the fact that you can just you can make money and, and not necessarily make an impact. And that's that's fine. They can they can do that and stuff. But one of the most important things and the reason why, for example, the FBI is totally new, it's not like a fork of a fork of a fork or something thing or like, Hey, like, let's launch this. I bet it'll get like, you know, 500 million TVL or like pump the price or whatever. The reason we do stuff that's like extremely difficult, but also obviously has like a, hopefully a, you know, top five crypto or trillion dollar, you know, vision kind of thing is it's difficult to be a positive impact in the world than, than it is in crypto than just to make money. Right. Especially these days. And one of the main things that I always try to do is try to see how to be a positive, some value creating, you know, live player in the ecosystem rather than kind of value extractive or like make money and, and take it. Right. And because that's not ultimately what this is all about, you know, especially what the, the kind of reason I even, you know, got into crypto as like a, a college student and stuff. It wasn't like, oh, I bet I could make a bunch of money from this. Back in like 2013, you actually couldn't. There was not really much of anything you could make money into. So it's just more of the idealistic, but really important reasons. Like people kind of see Vitalik, for example, as a really good kind of thought leader and, and kind of leader of the broader, you know, Ethereum slash crypto space, because I think he's also motivated by the same thing of you, you want to make the world like a better place and actually create positive value rather than try to extract or absorb value from, from somewhere. Right. And in, in like a zero sum manner. So I always think, how do you create actual value and make things better rather than just simply how, how does value come to me or, or like the, the thing I'm building or things like that? Absolutely. No, and it's it's evident. It's evident in what you deliver. And like I said, I, I don't think there are very many people doing it and that's or, or approaching it with that philosophy.
anymore. I, I, I do think there are plenty of people still believe that crypto can change the world and that there's are ways to do it. But there are very few projects, I think, that are actually delivering on it like yours. And that to me is that to me is a really important. It's it's not only important because, you know, I think ultimately I could make a lot of money on these projects I'm investing in because I think long term these are these are these are not only DeFi plays that make money, they are fundamentals that could fundamentally change life. And mm -hmm. that ultimately can be incredibly wealth generating for everyone that's involved in them, right? Um, that, that, yeah. But the fact that it has the mission in mind as it's doing it is a huge differentiator for me and uh, a big part of my focus. I certainly degen into crap to make extra money and have fun, <laughs> but I... I have a core, you know, thesis that I stick to and, and I'm excited to see what FPI uh, is going to do. I, I think this is like really big, big, big vision, big mission, and has a lot of cross applications. And I think building ecosystems around projects like yours will make a lot of sense because I think the people who will come to build on them will share the vision. Yeah. I cannot wait to hear about this launching. I'm going to be heavily involved financially, but I'm really excited for you and the team and the community and everybody that's stuck with you guys as you build and grow. And how how should people get involved with the project? How should they reach you guys, visit you, et cetera? Yeah, the, the best place is our, our main Telegram community. It's just at Frax Finance. Our Twitter is the exact same username, at Frax Finance. I'm super available. Telegram, Twitter, Discord. And, you know, if I'm literally not sleeping, I'm, I'm working on all this stuff. And I'm always available and approachable. So join us, talk about Frax, the FBI. And, and if you have ideas, want to build anything, just we're literally all day and all night, depending on where you are, just working on this stuff. So hit us up and it'd be awesome to, to get people involved. Awesome, Sam. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for explaining everything and the best of luck to everyone, because I think it's in all of our best interest for you to have great success with this. Thanks, Brad. Love your show. And it's great to be on a second time. Take care. Thanks, man. We'll get you on again later after we launch. For sure. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Most of us in the DeFi space are investing to make more money, but most of us as well should be in the space for making an impact. And we should be investing in the projects like Frax that are going to try to change the world. And that's what motivates me to be involved and to spread the word about how much we can do to impact the world through DeFi. So I'm excited to see what Sam and the team are creating. I'm excited to see the impact that this massive experiment will have on the financial world and on financial freedom. And I love the ability to be able to hear about these projects in depth and share some time with these really brilliant founders. If you liked what you heard today, please like, review, share, subscribe, tell people about it and spread the word for financial freedom. Thanks so much for listening.